continue in a multi-week course in looking at 2 Peter 3.18 and talking about spiritual growth. The master key to spiritual growth we learned last week and we talked about was the issue of the glory to God, giving glory to God. Um, I want to give many practical ways to grow spiritually today. I'm just going to set down two spiritual growth keys. And the weeks that follow, I will give you others. Uh, I think it's essential, to, uh, just like it is the physical growth for a child, it's essential to spiritual growth to understand uh, what happens and how it happens. And that way we can compare and see if things are actually happening. The master key to spiritual growth is the glory of God. Ian Hamilton, pastor of Cambridge Presbyterian Church in Cambridge, England, said at a Banner Truth for Conference, the formative principle of the Christian life is the glory of God. Talked about last week, man's chief purpose is to glorify God and rest in him. John Piper, pastor of Bethlehem Baptist Church, says God is the most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. It takes me a while to work through that one. When we find a rest in him, I think it goes back to that issue again, that we have found what we need in God and that makes us complete and therefore we're satisfied. And God is supremely concerned about his glory and how we grow as Christians. With that in mind, let's look at Second Peter 3.18 again. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. A number of years ago, I don't know if you remember, during Super Bowl, I think it was like 37 or something like that, uh, there was a FedEx ad, and it was a uh, spoof on the Tom Hanks film where he was stranded on the island for many years. And if you remember the thing, uh, you know, you see bedraggled Hanks in the movie. Well, FedEx employee comes home from that event, and he's at the door of the lady with the package, and he hands it to her, and, you know, he starts to walk away. She's kind of like, well, thank you. And he starts to walk away. And he just, he just needed to know, curiosity, what was in it. And she said, oh, you know, just, just a few things. A satellite telephone, a global positioning device, a compass, a water purifier, and some seeds. And he, <laughs> you wonder, I always wonder, too, what was in the package, Tom Hanks. You know, you never know, you know. Uh, I think like the contents of that uh, supposed package, the resources that you and I need for spiritual growth are available to every Christian uh, who will take advantage of them. So with that in mind, I want to start the rest of this, uh, this second day or series on the rest of the keys to spiritual growth. Uh, I want you to look for just two things tonight. Uh, we'll break them up, but just two main points. And the first one is confessing Christ as Lord and two, aiming our lives at glorifying God underscoring that same issue from last week, but a little bit more detail. First of all, confessing Christ as Lord. The first spiritual growth, I think, begins at the inception by confessing Jesus as Lord. It's got to start somewhere. Where's my spiritual growth and development start? Well, if I'm not saved, it, I can't grow spiritually because I'm dead, so the Bible says. You're dead to spiritual things. Uh, and so it's at that moment that I accept Christ as Savior. In Philippians 2, 5 through 7, the Apostle Paul discusses humiliation. Uh, kenosis is the Greek word for that. Uh, it explains how he took the form of a man and humbled himself even to the point of death. A number of theologians talk about that word kenosis. It means to pour out. 
and so he humbled him. He gave everything of himself. Didn't hold anything back. Um, and so we, we get the canonic theory. Uh, and when you, when you read on the front of Time magazine that uh, years ago, um, God is dead. It came from that idea of, of God pouring himself out. And theologians would suggest that God pours so much of himself out on the cross, he went a little bit too far and now he's gone. Uh, well, of course, you and I don't believe that, but again, we talk about what some theologians think all the time. We have to be able to answer every man of the questions, right? And so it includes some theories like this. But when you read those verses, uh, 5 through 8, go to verses 9 through 11. The apostle says, therefore, God exalted himself. Uh, I read that verse and I understand God's still around. You know, after that event... God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There it is again, to the glory of God the Father. Because of Jesus' obedience, the Father exalted him and calls everyone in the universe to confess him as Lord. That brings glory to God. To give God glory, we must confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's a part of salvation. It's not a subsequent act. It's a part of it. Follow me? It's a part of salvation, confessing Jesus is Lord. So when I say the word, I've trusted Jesus as Lord, or I've trusted Jesus, and later on I'll make him Lord, that's not, that can't happen. You either he's either Lord or he's not, and if he's Lord, then you can be saved. But if you don't take him as Lord, then you're not making an act that leads to salvation. I think they're not two distinct acts. When you read Paul uh, in Romans ten nine, that if you will confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. They're the same thing. It's just part and parcel. Salvation is a matter of confessing that Christ is Lord. When you confess that Christ is Lord, you become keenly aware of and concerned about the glory of God. Because he is Lord, I want to please him. And how do I do that? How do I bring glory to God? Um, Before you uh, converse with someone, in your past you may have used the Lord's name in vain. I met people like that, you know. Uh, I was raised in a family where we did not do that, uh, just who we were, but I was around a lot of people who did, uh, and certainly was in school. And it was a matter of concern to me when they would use the Lord's name in vain. And, and sometimes, of course, at some point when they became aware that I was a Christian, some cared. When I, they discovered I was a minister, a few more cared. And they would say the words, and then they'd look at me and apologize. And I would say something like, it's not my name you took in vain. Maybe it's somebody else you need to apologize to, because it's not my name. Englishman Henry Martin served as a missionary in India and Persia in the late 18th and early 19th centuries. Uh, Commentator John Stott tells about Henry Martin, and he had turned his back on an academic career, and he entered the ministry, and two years later he was preaching in India. And 
the phrase that is connected with him is this, let me burn out for God. So if you read of this person, that phrase will come up. And he cried that in Calcutta, the dirtiest, most packed place in India you can imagine. And he lived in an abandoned Hindu temple. And he watched people as they would prostrate themselves down to images. And he wrote these words, This excited more horror in me than I can well express. Because see, God's not getting glory. An image, an idol made by hands is getting God's glory. One time there was an instance where he heard somebody blaspheme about Christ. And he said, I, I could not endure existence if Jesus was not glorified. It would be hell to me if he were to be always thus dishonored. It motivated him to tell people who Jesus was that God might get glory and that these things, uh, worshiping idols, dishonoring the name of the Lord, would stop and God, God would receive glory. If you've never confessed Jesus as Lord, you have no capacity to understand his glory. You just can't. That's what we said before, you're dead spiritually if you dishonor the son or dishonor the father but if you confess jesus christ as lord you now have the capacity to glorify god and to grow spiritually so salvation is necessary for the beginning place of glorifying god and for spiritual growth you cannot grow until you're born again you cannot grow until you're born right <laughs> you just, it doesn't happen And it's true in the spiritual realm as well as the physical realm. Two, aiming our lives at glorifying God. I think the second key to spiritual growth is actually aiming our lives to doing it. Making the option to do it. Taking action to do it. Focusing our life on it. I shot uh, a bow and arrow for years. Not so much anymore. Arthritis is not a friend to bow and arrows. But... but when, you know, I would draw, there's a little sight, if you've ever looked at, you know, inside, they weave a little sight in, inside the string. And so when I would pull it back, I'm looking through a little hole inside the string, and at the end, you may have a collection of other little things that you can use as markers to, to aim the arrow. But I'm focusing first through that hole before I look at anything else. I'm not looking at the target. I'm focusing through the hole first. That's my eyesight. That's where I'm looking. I think once we become Christians, we have to focus our lives to glorify God. We have to take the initiative to glorify Him. In 1 Corinthians 10, 31, the Apostle Paul said, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That takes effort a choice to do that i do many things but what i'm trying to do is glorify god in those many things that i do and confess jesus as lord that was done to the glory of god now whatever you do even the most mundane functions like eating or drinking uh, are done to the glory of god that should be the underlying attitude of our service everything is for the glory of God. Nothing for me, everything for God. John 8, 49-50, Jesus said, I honor my Father. I am not seeking glory for myself. I mean, we read these words, and I think we 
gloss over them or run past them to read the rest of the stories that are there in the gospel. We don't stop and focus on sometimes just one word to see how significant it is. And, and what Jesus said, I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm doing this for God's glory, not mine. I think we grow spiritually when we focus on that. Aiming our lives at glorifying God, I think can be seen in a number of ways. First of all, by being willing to sacrifice all. If I'm trying to bring glory to God with my life, I'm willing to sacrifice everything I have to make it happen. That is a significant step in my life. I'm willing to do the mundane things, but to do the mundane things, I'm willing to give everything to that. Let me give you a number of illustrations to help you with that, I think. John 12, 27, Jesus said, Now my heart is troubled, and whatever shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. In anticipation of the cross, Jesus is saying, God, can I ask you to bail me out? Of course not. This is the reason I came, to sacrifice all. Then he says the words, Father, glorify your name. And so it is in his words that he shows he's willing to give all by bringing glory to God. John 12, 28, a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. Christ was about to suffer immeasurable pain, anguish in his body and his spirit. You know, he would cry out, why have you forsaken me? He's willing to glorify God despite the cost. I wonder if we're the same. You will grow spiritually when you do God's will regardless of the consequences, the cost. Will I do this no matter what it costs me or who it costs me? John 21 contains another illustration, I think, of God's being glorified through sacrifice. God had chosen Peter uh, for the foundation of the world to be involved as a disciple and to do many things to spread the gospel message. He was a key leader in the first century church. And he used that leadership from Peter to spread the gospel to the rest of the world. Unfortunately, though, Peter's like us. He's inconsistent. He just was not consistent as much as we would like to have a leader of the church be, right? You know, we're, but in some ways, I kind of like that because I know he's human. I also know this is real because it paints both good and bad. It just doesn't tell me good things about these people. It tells me where they erred as well. It gives me a whole picture of who they are. He often gave strong verbal assent, but failed when he was tested, when it came up. God had shown Peter many great things, just as Jesus walking on the water, feeding of the 5,000, transfiguration, all these things. God's power had enabled Peter to make that great confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. God chose Peter to say those words. I mean, that's significant to me. Um, and, and as you look at that, Peter, when he heard Jesus say the words, you know, uh, we're seeking for Jesus of Nazareth, are you he? And he says, what? I am. And what happens? They fall down like dominoes, the Bible says. You know, it's like... Uh, Keystone Cops or a comedy routine. One of the soldiers hits the other one and they all just bump, 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 bump. They fall down. And, you know, Peter gets to see that. Just the words of God saying, I am. 
and everybody falls to the ground. Peter saw the resurrected Jesus. He had a personal audience with him in Luke 24, 34. And yet, in spite of all of that, he remained inconsistent. I don't know, maybe he felt inadequate because of his many failures. I, 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 I'm reading into that. But following the resurrection, you know the story. Jesus promised to appear with the disciples. He told them that in Mark 16, 7. And, and Christ didn't arrive immediately, at least immediately enough for Peter and the other disciples. Peter got impatient. And so what did he say? I'm going to go out and fish. He used those words to say, I'm going to go back to do what I used to do, fish. I wasn't cut out for this ministry. I've failed every time I've had the opportunity. The one thing I can do is fish, and so I'm going to go back to that. Peter was leader, so several other people followed him, right? Just because you're a leader doesn't mean you always lead people in the right direction. That didn't happen in this case. He took them the wrong way. So in verse 3, it continues. So they went out, and they got in the boat. And the Greek text literally says, the boat. Perhaps maybe it was Peter's own boat, you know. He still had family that were fishers. Maybe he went back to the exact boat that he left with his family. I'm getting back in this, guys. We're going to go back to fishing again. But they didn't catch anything. Well, you know, you, you have to believe the Lord was involved in that. Uh, can you imagine God going, go around, fish? <laughs> you know, here's the net. Go that way. And, and everything doesn't get into the net. Or they go the wrong way or whatever. Or they're lower or whatever it is. They caught nothing, the Bible said nothing. Jesus appeared in the morning, confronted Peter, and after Peter affirmed him three times, and we've talked about that a number of times in verses 15 through 17, I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself. You went where you wanted. Peter, you had your own way, putting on your own belt, doing what you wanted to do. Then he said to him, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, a phrase many people believe it's crucifixion. Um, and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. John 21, 18 through 19. Peter's death would bring glory to God because Peter would be willing to lay down his life for Christ. That prophecy must have surprised Peter who previously had denied Jesus under persecution, right? Threat of persecution. Uh, I don't know him. But the Lord said to him, one day you will glorify me because you will be willing to die for my sake. And of course, Peter did. That's what happened. Let me give you one more illustration of God being glorified through sacrifice. I think this is a story of missionaries that is most remarkable. It was the 19th century, and John Patton, his newly wed bride, was from Scotland, New, New Hebrides, um, uh, Vanuatu. V-A-N-U-A-T-U. It was a group of islands in the Western Pacific, and only cannibals lived there. Can you imagine taking your young family to a cannibal-infested island to share the gospel message? All the missionaries had gone to that place. Nobody had returned. So you knew it was dangerous, and you knew what the risk was. Their lives were constantly threatened. Patton's wife gave birth and long, not long after they had arrived and both she and the baby died. He t tells a story that he slept on the graves for three or four nights so the people would not dig them up and eat them. 
I can't, I can't even think about that. But despite that, near the end of his life, in his autobiography, he said he did not know an islander who had not made a profession of faith. Think about that. He did not know an islander that had not made a profession of faith because he was willing to go and do whatever it cost him for God's glory. Patton was so willing to do that, he said these words. When he arrived on the island, there were no Christians. When he left the island, there were no heathen. Remarkable. Unbelievable story. You can't grow spiritually by charting your own course, saying, Lord, here's what I will do, and here's what I won't do. You must be willing to be embarrassed, defamed, dishonored by the world, and settle for fewer possessions in life if you really are willing to count the cost. One of my favorite authors, uh, Dietrich von, or Bonhoeffer, um, wrote the book, The Cost of Discipleship. And he gave his life in the German concentration camp. They, they killed him. They, many people believe they killed him at last. He was a Christian. He wasn't Jew. Uh, but they killed him just at the end of, of his ability to be freed. If it had been another day or two, he could have been freed, but they killed him on purpose just because he had been a thorn in their side preaching and doing things that talked about Christ as opposed to what they were doing. Spiritual growth occurs when you're consumed with God's glory and not your own comfort or plans, when you are willing to sacrifice all for the glory of God. B, being humble. I think the second aim in our lives, glorifying God, is seen by being humble. The person who's truly living for the glory of God will be willing to be outdone by others. This is, you know, I don't have to have all the glory. I don't have to have all the pats on the back. It's God who needs to be glorified, not me. I rejoice even when others get credit. You look in the book of Philippians, and uh, Philippians 1, 14 through 18. It's a wonderful illustration of humility in the life of the Apostle Paul. He's nearing the end of his life when he wrote to the church at Philippi. He had been involved in some great adventures. There's no doubt about that. Uh, he led the expansion of the church in the first century. Uh, he preached on Mars Hill in Athens. He had accomplished some great things in bringing the church at Corinth back together. Thessalonica, Berea. He'd survived shipwreck. He had been transported to Rome as a prisoner because he you know, appealed to Rome uh, in the midst of trials. All these experiences and all these missionary tours, in fact, sometime, you know, he even preached all night you know, when he visited places. Remember the guy falling out of the window and, and then him getting died and brought him back to life. You think my sermons could be long. <laughs> At least nobody's died in the service. <laughs> By the time he wrote Philippians, however, Paul was in prison and no longer had an option to get out. He didn't have a worldwide ministry. There were a, a new breed of young preachers who were being recognized and, and accolades were going their direction. Some people were jealous for Paul. He was not jealous. They were jealous for him. And some were criticizing him even, some of these young preachers. Well, you know, if he wasn't in jail... You know, maybe he's in jail because he's supposed to be. 
God is finished with Paul because he's not contemporary. Or Paul made a big mistake and God had to shelve him. That's why he's in jail. That's the implication if you read closely. But in Philippians 1.14, here's what Paul says about that nonsense. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Some people have become bolder because of what Paul was going through. And so he says in verses 17 and 15 through 17, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, the new young breed that we're talking about, out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. And in verse 18 he says, as long as Christ is preached, who cares what they say about me? He didn't care. It made no difference. He didn't have to get the credit. He knew in himself who he was in Christ, and that was okay. He was humble in spite of what was going on around him. See, by being joyful in trials, finally, I think we look through that focus and glorify God by being joyful about the trials that we're in. In his first letter, the apostle Peter wrote to a group of believers who were suffering. We've studied that, you know, what they were going through. And 1 Peter 1, uh, 4, 14 says, You are insulted because of the name of Christ. You are blessed for the spirit of the glory and of God rests upon you. You are glorified by suffering for him. You may not see it that way, but he says he's trusted you to suffer for him. Peter goes on to say in verses 15 and 16, these words, If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. See, some people were suffering because of what they had done. I mean, if I stole something and I suffer, you deserve that. Even the thief on the cross said that when he was dying. We are here because of what we've done. But this man has not sinned. They recognize that you might be in trouble because of what you do. But he goes on to say, however, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. We should be willing to suffer for Christ. There's a pastor, Jim Van Yeperen, Y-P-E-R-E-N. He tells a story about a lady in his church named Margaret. Margaret was uh, wheelchair-bound. Um, and her head kind of listed and she drooled on herself but she came to church faithfully Uh, and in coming to church uh, she was always dressed nicely you know her clothes were always pressed somebody took care of her and brought her and made sure that she was able to do what she needed she was always there neatly pressed one night after they had come to church they were doing some activity um he was facilitating a dialogue with a group of people within his church and they were surrounded and Margaret was in that group and he asked them to tell their favorite Bible verse or passage that was meaningful to them. Um, Several people had offered verses and you know like pastors will do they wrote it on the board and you know okay this one and why and all that stuff and he finally got to Margaret. Margaret could not read her verse and so she initially showed them a verse in Psalm 119, 71, and wanted them to read it. And here's the verse that she had them read. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might 
learn your decrees. Margaret smiled broadly and bobbed her head in affirmation of that red verse because she saw it as her testimony to aim her life at glorifying God and to be joyful in the midst of trials. Those are the people that make us re-examine who we are, don't they? They make us be quiet and thoughtful of what we're going through. I think one of the characteristics of, of life is growth. If you don't want to grow spiritually, that may indicate that you're not a Christian. If you don't want to grow, if you do want to grow, rather, you must obey Jesus. By being willing to sacrifice all for him, have a humble attitude toward others, and be able to rejoice when suffering for him. The master key to spiritual growth is to glorify God. Today we looked at two issues that help us to do that. I think the first is a practical way by confessing him as Jesus the Lord. Uh, the second practical way is to glorify him by aiming our lives, every area of our life, at glorifying God. And in that, we bring him glory. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us by willing to sacrifice all, by being humble and being joyful in the midst of our trials. To bring glory to your name, we hear these stories and read these illustrations and look at the biblical characters and, and people outside the Bible who got it and who challenge us to do the same. Forgive us when we have been less than we should have been, when we've not focused when we've been unwilling to bring glory to you. I pray in these moments that we have that we would assess ourselves and access what you offer us that we might truly be people who bring glory to God. We pray in your holy name. Amen.